You are listening to a Modern Nonprofit Podcast, a podcast for leaders of today's nonprofits. We focus on the most pressing issues in a modern nonprofit, from grant writing and fundraising to back office administration like accounting. If you are looking for tips and hacks to make your nonprofit more modern and intentional, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Tasha Anderson. I've worked with hundreds of nonprofits over many years in different capacities, first as an auditor, then a CFO of a nonprofit, and now I'm a CPA that owns the Charity CFO, an accounting firm working exclusively with nonprofit organizations. I'm passionate about trying to make the work of nonprofits even easier through the most modern practices I've learned from some of our most successful clients. Keep listening. Hey, friends, welcome back. I'm excited to chat with uh, you, Sherry, today and about this topic, especially. Friends, we're talking about fundraising. Uh, Maybe this is a sore subject for some of you as we're nearing the end of the year, but I think this is going to be an exciting uh, episode to talk about. Sherry, you are the founder, a fellow founder, right? And the CEO of Quam Taylor LLC. And you work with nonprofit organizations specifically around helping those CEOs raise millions more in general operating dollars. General operating is the key. So they can Mm -hmm. fund their strategic plan and increase their budgets by two to 5,000, two to five times. Sorry. So Sherry, what I love about this conversation, and these are bold, you know, goals that you're, you're sharing out there. What I love about this is a lot of times when we talk about fundraising, we talk about, you know, maybe how to attract a corporate gift, you know, how to um, apply for a grant application or, or things of that nature. But what you're suggesting is a much bigger than that. And I think is really, it really resonates with most nonprofit organizations. Like I need general operating dollars and I need big donors. Right. To invest in um, the growth, we're trying to go from this small to midsize or midsize to larger organization. Mm-hmm. And how do we make those incremental jumps um, through the support of our donors? So I'm excited. Thanks for my coming favorite on board. topic. Thanks for having me. I appreciate <laughs> it. Perfect. So let's talk a little bit more. Maybe give us an example. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you do for your organizations. Um, kind of big picture. The organizations yeah. you work with. Sure. Yeah. Define so like what you, this is. Of course. So like you said, um, a lot of people come to me with. Um, oh, we've just completed our strategic plan and oh my gosh, we need, like, we're literally going to need to three X in the next three to five years. Mm-hmm. Um, or they come to me when it's like, Hey, we did the strategic plan three years ago and we still can't do what's in it. Cause we, 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 mm-hmm. we, we didn't raise mm-hmm. to that number. Uh, it yeah. required a bigger budget. And so, but you know, I love both of those scenarios, um, because typically why, they haven't been able to achieve all the the visionary and amazing growth initiatives in their strategic plan mm-hmm. is because they didn't have enough general operating revenue. Mm-hmm. They didn't have enough unrestricted revenue. They gave them mm-hmm. the flexibility to frankly put more gas in the engine. Mm-hmm. So um so often it's like, well, we, we need to grow, we need to, we need to 3x, but like. I guess we'll just grind harder. I guess we'll just hope that gala brings in more money or we'll mm. see more LOIs. Um, but there, there's there's steps that people skip um, to really say, how should we finance the organization? Mm. How could we be fundraising in a way that actually attracts the types of donors who get it and who get that we need flexibility to scale mm-hmm. our organizations? I love that. And um, I'm, I'm excited to dive a little bit more into why this is a challenge for organizations, what keeps them from doing that. But what you're saying to me really resonates with a lot of the clients that I've seen. And, and I loved your comment about just grinding harder. And just to be honest, that's not sustainable. Um, we're seeing a huge increase in turnover in 
these weeds within the nonprofit organization. I mean, certainly right. shortages has always been a challenge um, and it continue to be a challenge. So the idea of just kind of grinding harder and working harder is, is simply not a sustainable solution for everybody. So right. let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the teams, the teams that an organization has and what, how they might actually be contributing to the problem of not yeah. getting the revenue or, or keeping the revenue that they are hoping for. Yeah. The the interesting thing is, you know, when we have the strategic plan and we say, okay, I'll use a round number, like, uh, let's say last year we raised 2 million and this year we want to raise 2.5 and and gosh, in three years, we want to be at 5 million, whatever that is. Um, So often our teams are not set up to be successful because Mm. um, we haven't said, okay, gosh, to grow from two to 2.5 or from two to five, um, we haven't paused and said, well, how many more people do we need to hire? And what perhaps do we need to take off the development director's plate Mm -hmm. so that they can be successful? And so many times um, teams are just on the spin cycle, really at no fault of their own because they Mm -hmm. they haven't been given the resources or, you know, maybe they are experts at something else. Mm -hmm. They might be amazing grant writers, amazing event planners. Maybe they even came up through program, Sure, um, but they've never known how to pivot into a mid or major level gift yeah. process, or they've, they've never been trained on how do I sit down and have that investment level conversation with a donor, mm-hmm. walk them through a strategic plan, share the financial need, answer all those tough financial questions that, that so mm-hmm. many of us want to avoid. And so there's just a, a skill set um, challenge that yeah. it, team, the organizations must invest in to set their teams up for success. Um, otherwise, we can't blame them for not, you know, for 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 not being successful. And so, um, I do so much uh, practical training on how what do I need to stop doing in my team, so mm. that I can realign my hours to things that actually attract investment level donors and mm-hmm. attract unrestricted gifts. Um, and that feels scary sometimes when it's like I've I've never done this type of fundraising, but sure. um, that is that is the key to making this shift is really that time allocation into the more strategic hour to dollar aligned activities. And I love when you talk more about um, teams and skill sets and things. And I think the biggest challenge uh, for rapidly growing organizations the talent they need at one level versus the talent they need and the expertise they need to get to that next level or to maintain at that level and then to move on to the next level. And depending on how quickly you're growing, this is a challenge that any business, for-profit or non-profit, I can certainly relate to this, um, growing a business that uh, has experienced pretty rapid growth over the last few years. What you can afford and what you need at a certain point in time is much different, maybe six months later, maybe a year later. And um, I've had many conversations over the years with nonprofits that, especially one that I used to work with, um, very closely that we had a consultant come in and in long story short, she basically said, you're an organization in your strategic plan. You want to be the premier leader in this particular space. You want to mm-hmm. play in the big leagues and you have a farm team. And that was yeah. pretty harsh because yeah. I, you know, I, I was on that team, but Ouch. honestly, <laughs> uh, there's probably some truth to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm working with another organization um, it's a founder led organization for many, many, many years. And we have this big, huge goal over the next few years, uh, right? Big, huge goal on impact and growth and all of these things. And when we talk about what well, we want to get here and we all bought into the, the goal and the dream and then kind of like buckling down and like, no, you know, you can't expect our team to be able to do this. It's like, well, right. 
you can't have these huge goals of growth um, or expansion or however you define that and then dig your heels into um, I'm unwilling to make changes on my team to get the expertise I need to develop my team or find ways to develop my team or to level up on the expectations I have for those, whatever it is, right. There's a disconnect between where you want to go and maybe the team members that you have to your point, maybe completely out of their control. um, That requires us leaders of businesses to make some of those really difficult decisions and figure out how do we get from here to here. Right. Uh, So I could see that. Yeah. And I can see it like kind of tying onto some of these examples, um, like even st- like a lot of clients I started this year, you know, kind of if we can call 22 the year after COVID, you know, <laughs> let's just call it that in this conversation. But, um, you know, many organizations had tremendous growth in 2020 and mm-hmm. 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so my clients who are starting in 2021 early were like, or excuse me, 2022 were like, um, we just grew by millions and yeah. hold on. like. Like my team now doesn't match who I am, right. whether that was like, we had one development director and we were raising 2 million and now we're at seven, right? And, and how do we stay there? So I, I hear you. It, there's a, there's a real math problem equation that needs to happen mm-hmm. um, when your team has experienced such growth, or frankly, if you want to experience growth, mm-hmm. um, I have a wonderful client who is in the process of a five X strategic plan. I I love that kind of meaty, meaty challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to make sure we say, okay, well, when we are five X at year seven, um, this is what your org chart would look like and, and kind mm-hmm. of back that up and really be looking ahead and say, we have to be really conscious of what that spend is and how our team needs to shift and evolve mm-hmm. so that it can hit those numbers and it can generate those dollars. And mm-hmm. so um, I think for that reason, it's a really exciting time. Um mm-hmm. For organizations who have who've just seen extreme growth and mm-hmm. um they have the opportunity to really form and shape their teams um to what they should be. Mm-hmm. Maybe what they should have been all along, but like right. you know, things told us we should we didn't we shouldn't spend money and we should be able to do more on less. And we all know that that was never the truth. Yeah. I I love that you talk about this. I practice this in my own business, but um I think of it as more of like a proactive approach to the org chart rather than here is the diagram of the actual yeah. positions we have right now when we update it once we bring on new positions. But I've practiced this exercise in my own business that when we envision what's it going to look like, you know, when we're at 5 million or 10 million or 20 million, whether you base it on dollars or maybe you, you base it on um, impact or the number of people you want to serve or however you want to think about scaling, what does that org chart look like and not just positions, but areas of accountability and responsibility, mm. right? And so, and then having different iterations of that. So you, um, you know, many of us are visual people and you can really see it on yeah. your screen or on paper, you know, what does that really look like and how does that evolve? And once we hit these different milestones, how, how might we need to restructure or, right. or, or um, realign some, some functions yeah. of the business? So yeah, I there's, there's fluidity that. in the growth, you know, um, but I think also the, the, the other little piece of the puzzle to lay on top of this is once we are growing or scaling, or we are thinking like, okay, if we want to be there and gosh, I, I think I do need to hire three people in the next, you know, couple of years. Um, we have to make sure that when we go back and we're, we're even doing budgeting, um, mm-hmm. that we're not being irrationally frugal and that mm-hmm. we are really saying, is that, our, are, are we kind of doing that squeak by thing of like, well, I don't know, maybe we could start on part-time. 
Or mm-hmm. are we actually being honest and saying, this is what we need. And this is what we mm-hmm. need to invest in to be able to get to that point. Right. Right. So, so much of that, um, that fundraising team success is so much based on, are they raise the organization raising yeah. to the right number in the first place to set them up for success? Sure. Um, it's critical. And that's where the board can, can really play a huge role in, um, in being comfortable with spending and investing and really, um, you know, I, I always say like an organization's as, as per someone who helps with revenue generation, even though I can teach people how to do that, way more of that revenue success has to do with um, our planning and our comfort level with really the spend mm-hmm. um, that allows people to raise that much money. And so uh, that's where I start with people all the time to say, are you raising to the right number in the first place? Mm-hmm. There's so many things I want to unpack here, but I, I, <laughs> I think probably the next step that people want to understand um, is, okay, we, we've talked about you know, this need to grow into this model and, and setting big goals. And I agree with you hundred percent, go for the big goals and not just kind of squeak by. So many times I see organizations like 2% increase, like across the board and all things. Um, and are we really going to move the needle right. with that in the way that's um, impactful? And not to mention, is it sustainable for your team? Let's just assume mm-hmm. your volunteers are at risk for burnout, your staff's at risk for burnout, right? It's a world, unfortunately, that we many of us live in. It so is. let's talk about those that, okay, I love, Sherry, what you're saying. Um, I agree, like absolutely need more gener- general operating dollars. How does one go about attracting donors who want to give gen op? Everybody has mm-hmm. this idea that uh, people want to give restricted or for capital improvements or, or something either tangible or just a super um, compelling, like, you know, for a very specific part of a program or something like this. How do yeah. you recommend yeah. to your clients to start attracting these donors? What can we yeah, do? You, you kind of nailed it when you said we have the idea that that's how people want to give. Now, are there people who want to give that way? You bet. And, sure, and I respect sure. that. Like if they want to touch and feel great, that, that sounds mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, but I find so often that um, we as fundraisers are really good at telling the problem, the crisis, um, here's what we do. Here's our success. Here's the story. Um, you know, and so we need money. Right. And then we kind of leave that meeting. We're like, I think, I think they'll give a gift. I, 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 I think they'll do it. Um, or we default and say, could I send you three projects to consider? Or mm. so, so I'm looking for $25,000 cause I need an X or we want to start this. And so we, we kind of naturally think that's the next step. Uh, in my mind, that's, especially as we're trying to attract investment level donors, that's half of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the other half of the story is, can I share with you how we're growing? Can I mm. share with you our $3 million need? Love that. Right. And yeah. to be able to pivot into what is the financial story of your organization? Mm-hmm. Um, how, what is your story to scale and impact mm-hmm. our lives? Mm-hmm. Um, how have you been growing? Oh my gosh, we've grown by an average of 20% the last three years. Here's why. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Here's how we're funded. Here's how we spend money. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I walk you through our budgeted need? And so I, I even had a fundraiser not that long ago say to me, um, gosh, I hope they don't ask me all the numbers questions in that meeting. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You lay those numbers questions out on the table. You want those questions. Welcome yes. those questions. Yes. Because we want to talk to investment level donors. We want, we want them to understand the mm-hmm. overall need of the organization so we can solicit for an overall gift. So if they don't understand that, they are going to default to a project-based gift. Yes, so I yes. truly believe that fundraisers have 
way more control of the timing and pacing, the type and size of gift, mm -hmm. um, if they're leading correctly, um, yes. not being pushy, none of that slimy stuff, mm -hmm. but really taking that time to lead that donor to a deep understanding mm -hmm. of what the plans are, what the financial need is, and soliciting based on the need. Um, that's how my fundraisers shift into um, unrestricted gifts and scale those gifts. And it's, it's really a skill set that mm. it's pretty practical if, if, I can, sure. if I can say that. Sure. I, it's so funny. Um, I just left a presentation to a group of fundraisers and executive directors of small organizations around the disconnect between the finance department and the fundraising department, right? Yeah. And we talked about the anxiety of fundraisers knowing their numbers, figuring out their numbers, managing to those numbers, whatever. It's just this anxiety about, mm -hmm. um, oh, I hope they don't ask me about the numbers questions. And there's this idea, well, I'm not good at numbers or I'm not good at math. And I try to tell people so many of these numbers are not monetary necessarily. Yeah. It could be right. growth. So. I'm, I'm going a little bit off, off topic because I know that wasn't intended to be the, the, <laughs> the nature of the conversation, but if you're okay with it, I'd love to chat a little bit more about how do you help your clients, let's assume these are development directors listening to this conversation or even other people, but how do you advise clients? What's the first step in, in understanding these numbers that we speak of? Or maybe a couple examples yeah. of numbers. And then this is like your first step for somebody to, to mention that comment. You're like, hold on. Now that you mentioned this, we're going to yeah. talk about those numbers right now. Right. Um, how yeah. do you get them <laughs> more comfortable? How do you ease the anxiety around it? And how do you get them started to understanding what those numbers are? Yeah. Yeah. I find that sometimes the anxiety is based on the fact that sometimes I think leadership doesn't understand, like, why does the development team need to know all the nuances mm -hmm. of the growth plan or the budget where it's mm -hmm. like, all right, budget's 3 million. Let me see your fundraising yeah. plan. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, look, I actually want that development team involved in the budgeting. I want them to mm -hmm. understand the tough questions. Um, I want them to understand how, uh, how a 990 works and how we would talk about our, our functional expenses and in our, mm -hmm. our revenue. And um, so we have to make sure that our development teams are not just like, okay, here you go, but they're mm -hmm. really integrated as a strategic, you know, part of, of um, planning for the year and budgeting for mm -hmm. the year um, mm -hmm. so that they get more comfortable. And so I think it's just like, well, I wasn't in those meetings, so I don't know what to say. And so it's way easier for me to say, okay, so we have these five projects, I can go sell those. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like involve them early. And then to be honest, I really feel strongly about, I do so, so much role-playing and practice and, and I say, mm. welcome the tough question. Um, mm -hmm. let, let's go. How would I, if I asked you this question, how would you talk through that? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and to be able to make that like mindset shift of, if somebody asks you a financial question that feels really like pushy or aggressive, like, welcome that because mm -hmm. that might be the thing that's blocking them from giving their best gift to the organization. Mm -hmm. So we need to remove any of those questions a donor might have in their mind um, that would keep them from investing deeply. And so it, it's kind of a, a tactical, like you got to be in the numbers conversations, but also a um, yeah. it's okay to not know all the answers at first. And right. you know, real quick, you will, when you start being open to these conversations and is it, could I share with you how we're growing? Right. Um, I find Tasha that, that those kind of CEO level donors mm -hmm. are like, oh my gosh, nobody shares these numbers with me. Nobody yes. walks me through their budget. 
And all of a sudden they're like, wow, you're transparent. You guys are running a good business. Right. We're speaking their language then. Right. So it's such a, um, it's such a, a strong play, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. to, to learn how to speak that donor's language and, um, and to really identify maybe why they aren't giving their best gift. And a lot of times it's numbers. I completely agree. That was one of the uh, recommendations that I made that if you're a fundraising uh, professional, meet with your accountant, just understand where, what programs have deficits that need fundraising mm-hmm. opportunities, what maybe line items tend to be underfunded um, by the restricted grants, whether you have government contracts or, you know, there's always an element of, you know, yeah. this is the size of our programs, the impact we're having, but these are the areas that maybe our government contracts are not willing to cover, or maybe we just haven't identified a donor for that. Um, right. And keeping it very operational in that way, but really understanding where are the needs of the organization, how to speak into those. Um, just really sitting down and having that conversation on a regular basis with, mm-hmm. with the account, initially with the budget, and then also how is the year going as we're progressing. Right. So, right. Um, and I tell people, it's it's funny. Uh, I think when I say it, I'm biased because I'm an accountant. I'm like, oh, she's an accountant. So of course she's going to say that. <laughs> so I always love asking that question to non-accountants that are a little bit more comfortable with speaking um, their numbers. And if anybody's listening, I get no paid uh, promotion for this, but there was a, there was a show on there and I don't know if it's, it's still on, it was called the profit. And there was this business oh, owner. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, um, I do. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but there's this CEO, investor, venture capitalist person, savvy guy. And I mean, obviously it's reality TV. So take it with a grain of salt, but I was always really inspired by him because he'll walk into any business he's considering investing in. And we're talking anything like cake, bakeries to retail shop, to forest, to all of yeah, these things, right? And he would go in and he would know the key numbers. And we're not just talking financial, right? We're not just talking about how much left do we have to spend in my budget, but key metrics as a whole for your yes. For your business and if you're on the fundraising side understanding maybe things like donor retention or average gift size or how much do we want to grow that or how many donors are engaged or uh, making up numbers but really identifying yeah. what those are for your organization and how to manage to those and how to hold yourself yeah. accountable for checking in to see how are things progressing along so yeah, yeah. thank you for it's critical that. yeah it's critical um and, and i think like I just think of the money that really is, is sitting on the table because we are not able to truly articulate the financial need. Um, and, yeah. and we avoid, um, you know, not only just individuals, but, uh, sure. you know, kind of pivoting and saying, well, we'll just send sponsorship packages to the, to the corporations or businesses, but A, is that sponsorship their best gift? And B, right. gosh, if we actually led them through these mission-based conversations and we got to know them more and, they sure. understood our need. Would they give more? Um, sure. I spent my entire 2020 and 2021 helping my clients pivot from those kind of transitional or excuse me, transactional mm. uh, sponsorship or application-based uh, revenue sources to sure. which one of these care about what we do. And if they understood mm. what we do and they understood the need and they understood what their gift could do, would they give more? And it was amazing to me how many how many businesses and, and donors were like, oh yeah, I didn't get anything out of that golf sponsorship anyhow. Like actually I, I would totally give you an unrestricted gift and, and I'll mm-hmm. double it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we kind of in our mind think corporation, sponsorship, foundation, application. Yeah. Um, when, if you really focus on the relationship building and mm-hmm. kind of the things we're talking about today, um, that's when I see my, my clients scale in the greatest way. It's so funny you say that because, um, 
when I have people approach me for a sponsorship, me obviously being the accountant, I know the implications of like, not all of this is, you know, considered a charitable contribution. And some of this is considered meals entertainment and a pretty savvy donor. You know, look, I get invited to go to a lot of galas. I don't really need to attend a gala. Um, Just having a conversation and relationship and so many times I'm like, look, consider this a full-on sponsorship. I don't want tickets. I don't want a meal. I don't right. want you to spend any money on this. I'm just, you know, supporting you. So I think um, I have a client that um, has a really interesting thing. I think you'll love this called the non-event. Mm. And basically what they do is they take uh, invitations, just like you would for an event. Um, and they uh, separate them out amongst all the board members. And then they have... Um, um, I don't want to say chairs, but essentially like a, if you would envision like a table sponsor, right. Yes. Um, yes. But instead it's people that are like, Hey, I'm going to send these out to people I know. And so each one of these folks, you might have 40 or 50 people like you would in an actual event and they will decide the guests that they choose to invite. So a personal ask for that, right. right. This organization, right. it's a small organization, about $2 million a year. And they raise, oh my gosh, probably several hundred thousand dollars. Good for them. Spend, and guess what? They spend like no money on it. Yeah, <laughs> even better, it right? Is print, print, printed materials. Um, it's fantastic. Um, so that's I can fine. absolutely see where that's true. Lots of things to unpack here. So let's talk about um, another way that organizations could benefit from tightening things up. Where do you see the most money is left on the table year after year? What mm-hmm. can people be doing instead? Where are these missed opportunities? Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about it in this, in this shift from transactional mm-hmm. to relational. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also just say from a, gosh, oh, I guess I'd say a donor segmentation standpoint, mm. um, you know, so often our, if I have my pyramid, so often our, our major and mid-level donors are simply not giving their best gift because mm. um, we are kind of doing the activities that are attracting donors or attracting uh, gifts at the bottom part of the pyramid. I know every size gift is important. Don't hear me say mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. But so often, um, like I want us sitting and soliciting our mid and major level donors mm-hmm. one-on-one, in person or on Zoom. Um, I want the ask to happen one-on-one. And mm-hmm. I find so much money is left on the table when the ask for those mid and major level donors, or frankly, just people with greater capacity, mm-hmm. is happening through events, is happening through appeals. Um, and so, so often I find so much money left on the table because we've actually misaligned the donor activity with the donor's capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want I all donors giving their best gift every year. And I'm mm-hmm. going to tell everybody, if the donors are just coming to your, your gala or your event and writing a check, it's not their best gift. Yeah. We need to be soliciting them. We need yeah. to be leading them through this path. And so, you know, most donors, I think the stat is 81% of donors take six months to 24 months to give that best gift. It should take that long. Mm. Let it take that long. And when open our intuition and frankly, the whole sector says, spin up, spin up, like deadline, let it take that long because we want to work to that best gift and not just get the like, here's a thousand dollars. If we see that those people or writing $50,000 checks on somebody else's annual report. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the, the work I do is, um, is really, it feels counterintuitive at first because it feels slower, but it's really setting the organization up for, for sustainability and long-term funding. I, I love you said that about your best gift. I, um, 
I went to an event with a friend of mine and they're pretty large organization, been around for a long time. Their highest gift at their gala, the highest was um, like $3,900 and some change or something like that. Mm. Cause it, it kind of related to a service offering, obviously. And that person went into the event expecting to give 5,000 flat. 3,900 was the limit, like the maximum. And so to your point, that's, that's not most people. I don't want to say most people. There yeah, might yeah. have been more than just that one person um, that gave that gift. And it would have been interesting perhaps maybe uh, to reach out to those people that gave their max. It would be interesting to see how many people gave at that level and then to follow up with them and say, yeah, I really appreciate that. And just kind of feel it out to see if maybe there was an, an, an additional gift. Maybe somebody would have right. been willing to give $10,000. Um, Absolutely. I um I have this kind of philosophy in general, especially as it relates to sales, because I although I work in the nonprofit space, I have a for-profit business, and of course, sales is a function of my responsibilities as well. And it's interesting. I tell people, you know, don't decide what other people are willing or able to do, whether it's yes. how much money they're willing to spend on something, how much they're willing to give to something. Um, I really try to keep that front of my mind that this is what I think it's worth. This is what I'm going to be willing to ask. And I'm not going to talk myself out of it because I think right. maybe this person doesn't see the same value without giving them an opportunity to draw their own conclusions, yeah. which I think is a little bit of what you're saying here. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't make your, our job is to share the need and not decide yeah. what that donor can do. Love um, that. And I agree with you. Um, that donor should have been pre-solicited. So they did give their best gift and just been at the event as, as a nicety or as, would you, would you like to sit at my table? Um, because I think what we always look at the event is like the golden ticket or like, ah, oh, that, how can I get my event to make money? Um, but the most successful events are the, the asking is happening before the event. Uh, oh, the, the big, the big ones smart. that we see like $2 million. All those people were asked before. They've already locked those in. That's yeah, it's locked before. in. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're going in with most of it pledged. So um, that's, you know, that's probably another answer to your, where do we see money left on the table? Like that's mm -hmm. a, a great example uh, that, that you've brought. Love that. So let's um, talk a little bit more about a board member and their role. Mm -hmm. We hear this a lot when we talk to different fundraise, uh, fundraising individuals. I've sat on boards before. Tell us a little bit more from your perspective, how a board's role uh, can be part of helping us fundraise each year. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my general approach with the board is, um, is this, it oftentimes we think of the board as like, okay, their fiduciary responsibility is, is that budget and we got to go line by line and make sure all these things. <laughs> um, I always tell people, well, great, but, but your expenses, you know, that that's, that's only half of your budget. And so mm -hmm. if we're going to, we're going to go in that granular detail and everyone's going to make sure we're, we're being wise stewards, which I support. Um, gosh, now let's then pivot and say, okay, well, if our budget truly, our budgeted need truly is $5 million. Mm -hmm. Great. That's 50% of the conversation. Now the other 50% of the conversation needs to be, how are we all linking arms to raise to 5 million? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, so often I think in that, that budgeting, that sour taste in our mouth of budgeting is like, Board says the budget's five millions. So we'll figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. But I, I really feel like there's this bridge that needs to be, uh, you know, the gap that needs to be filled um, mm -hmm. by saying, now, how, how should we raise to five million? What yeah. gives us the most amount of flexibility? What gives us the most amount of general operating revenue? Um, mm -hmm. How do we actually fully finance the work before we send, before we just assume the fundraising team can do it? 
And so to me, I, I always say like, that's why I truly believe fundraising is a fiduciary responsibility because if we're going to approve mm -hmm. the budget, we all, we all better know how we're going to raise to it as well. Agreed. Um, mm -hmm. And then when we do that, uh, we have that true financing plan before we create our fundraising plan. Mm -hmm. And it really helps the board know, gosh, if I, if I have one hour outside of our meetings every month, what are those activities I should be doing? Mm -hmm. Guess what? Mm -hmm. It's not the stuff at the bottom of the pyramid. It's not sharing. Mm -hmm. Can I be so bold? It's not sharing the Giving Tuesday post. It's not giving mm -hmm. you 10 names to email. It's actually participating in some of these steps and uh, and that donor experience that leads donors to greater gifts. And so mm. the whole the whole methodology that I teach and I and I, I believe in is is really making sure from um, the board, the executive director, the development team that hours are aligned with dollars. Uh, and mm -hmm. those are very different activities than newsletters and emails and cadence and appeal. And so I want that board's hours really aligned with dollars too. And that has to tie right back to the, to the budget. I like that conversation you have. Maybe you can touch on it a little bit more um, if you can uh, going back to, because I've never had yet somebody ask me to um, participate in a, although I have a good story, actually, that I think about it, but I wasn't a board member at that time. But as a board member coming into those donor, like relationship building conversations and maybe having a lunch with a donor or, you know, just to include board members in on that space. And I'll say, although I wasn't in a donor, but I was an accountant working for an organization. This is back when I worked for one organization before mm -hmm. I started this firm. It's funny. Um, <laughs> The power of bringing other people, especially going back to like knowing your numbers and pitching to a for-profit business or, you know, business owners that are like CEOs and they get it, like, you know, you have yeah. need and, you know, we, we want to make gifts. Um, and then bringing other people into those relationships to, to, uh, to nail down these significant gifts. And I went into a conversation with, we had a really large bill for some repairs on the sprinkler system anyway. We're mm. a residential center. It was a huge bill. Of course, these things only happen at night and we have to pay a premium for of that course. time, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> So I don't even remember all of the details exactly, but I do remember reaching out to um, the project manager, the, the supervisor and said, look, is there anything that we can do like for this bill? Because I can't afford this. And he said, you know, you should meet with the owner. He's a really generous guy, et cetera, et cetera. So myself, I, I went out there along with the CEO without the fundraising person. And I said, look, here's where we're at. Like, <laughs> this is the yeah. budget I have. And we actually had the bank. I mean, we could have probably stretched it, but I just have to ask the question. Like, yeah. is there any wiggle room at all? We need a whole new system and we have $20,000 of repairs for a system that we know we're going to have to replace. Help us out. Here. Yeah. Long story short, he forgave the whole repair bill and figured out a way to rally um, some of his employees and several other people in the same union. And they replaced the entire sprinkler system with labor and everything for free. Un we paid nothing for a new system and we paid nothing for the repairs. And so explaining the need, I didn't even know what I was asking for. I was going and pleading my case, you know, <laughs> and I, I didn't ask him for, can you just shave off $2,000 here? Yes. I said, here's where I'm at. And he ended up giving, I think it was a total guess of somewhere around $50,000. Wow. He's never known us before other than he, his company would respond to service calls for our, yeah. for our, for our homes. So I think that, that's remarkable. I love that idea of bringing board members in to have those conversations. You really never know who's going to connect or what stories are going to be compelling or yes. how we can kind of ask without asking, not even yes. know we're asking, but um, right. sharing uh, challenges that the organization is facing and letting these donors make up their own decision for that. Yeah, it's critical. I mean, you, you shared the need and you asked for the need, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, there's, that's the simplicity of it. 
Um, but Amazing but what happens. I, I was bored. A, I was like, I don't know what happened. That's, but. <laughs> that's unbelievable. And, and the other, the thing I would, the last thing I'd say about the boards is um, if we aren't involving them in those types of activities, um, I find sometimes that boards are like, we don't like, we know we don't like fundraising. What are you going to do? Like if I do in, introduce you to my friend or colleague or business partner, what are you going to do? Are you going to ask them for money? No, we're not just going to walk up and ask them for money. So I'm a real believer in, like, we have to model donor experience for our board. And if they aren't coming to meetings with us, how do they know what a great job we're doing? How do they grow in confidence in, here's how I walk through a budgeted need. Um, okay. Here's how I talk to people about the problem we're solving and the opportunities that exist. Um, we really have to demystify the whole major gift, like walk in and ask for money with our board members so that then they feel more confident and say, actually, I would like to introduce my network to you. I would like to I introduce love that. you. Um, yeah. it's, it's a critical part. Otherwise, it's always just like, I'll do anything, but not fundraising. Mm-hmm. And so I always, um, like my, when my business coaches, she always said that oftentimes people say, well, um, they come to me and they say, I hate, I hate sales. And she says, you don't hate sales. You hate what you think sales mm-hmm. are. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, people hate say they hate fundraising but what they think fundraising is begging, being a used car salesman well who wouldn't hate that exactly that's not what we're talking about um we're we're offering people an amazing opportunity to invest in an amazing mission Mm -hmm. in a time when we we should not be underselling the work of the nonprofit sector absolutely Um, the opportunity is great and People hate the idea of fundraising or sales, which I think are very similar. Um, it's not the same thing. You're just selling something different. It's not, it's so much easier to not look at it like sales when you know it's something that is needed and something that is wanted, whether it's needed by the community and the desire to give to uh, a powerful mission, um, something that's compelling to them. That is something that people want to do anyway. And yeah. so it's really just having the conversations. And if they choose to not, participate that's okay um and if they do great um but it's really just sharing what you're trying to do and giving an opportunity for people to step in and participate in that way so if you would have told me that I would have been in sales um many years ago I would have said you are completely mistaken yeah me too Um, too. being (laughs) being in a role when you believe so strongly about something and um you know that the work is needed Right. It's kind of an easy, it's an easy thing to talk about, yeah. right? And the passion comes Absolutely. through. So it's it's not as salesy as people think. So I completely agree with you. Love well, that. Sherry, we, as as always is my case, I find this conversation really fascinating. And I always love hearing little nuggets of um, information from people that could help make it a little bit easier or a lot easier, um, depending on your goals. If you want to five exit, like some of Sherry's clients. Um, I love having these sort of conversations. And I love these little nuggets of getting your board involved. and and kind of modeling that uh, donor experience rather than saying, hey, welcome to the board. Uh, give us the name of your, the 10 of your richest friends or something like that. Which totally. Um, <laughs> it's like, hey, can you sit in on, have a lunch with me uh, and, and this, you know, longtime donor and just see how we talk about things and kind of really warm yeah. that up. I love that idea. And I've never been um, approached to do that myself. And I think that's, that's really interesting. So thanks for sharing that. Jerry, I'm you sure bet. people are, got other nuggets out of this conversation. What's the best way to get in touch with you if people want to hear more about your work or maybe even ask some more, for some more specific advice to their organization? 
Thank you, Tasha. Well, I'm on LinkedIn every day. So Sherry Kwam Taylor, <laughs> uh, find me on LinkedIn. It's why, uh, where, where I share all my information first. Uh, or okay. you can hop on my website, Quam Taylor, Q-U-A-M Taylor, my two last names, awesome. uh, and they can find me over there. Sounds great. Well, Sherry, again, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for Thank coming you. on board. And Appreciate for everybody, yeah, absolutely. And for everybody else, um, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out all of your major streaming uh, platforms for all of our other episodes. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to a modern nonprofit podcast powered by the Charity CFO. If your nonprofit is needing help with accounting or bookkeeping, head on over to thecharitycfo.com to find information on the work we are doing with other nonprofits. If you found this information helpful, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast streaming platform so other nonprofit leaders can find us. We appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next episode.